Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. defendant has been added to the criminal case against former President Trump filed down in Florida. Now, former President Trump has previously been charged with 37 counts related to obstruction, unlawful retention of defense secrets, and storing classified information down at Mar-a-Lago and refusing to hand it back to the archives. And he has pleaded not guilty to those charges, but he was charged alongside one of his longtime aides, Walt Nada. But according to the court docket, they have added another defendant. His name is Carlos. He is a worker down at Mar-a-Lago. And according to our reporting, he was previously seen on surveillance footage moving boxes that are believed to contain classified materials alongside Walt Nada. So they're going to take a guy who worked at or works at Mar-a-Lago and they're going to say, hey, you moved boxes from point A to point B because you were asked to move boxes from point A to point B. And now Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, is going to come at you. He's going to charge you. He's going to put the squeeze on you. And you're going to say anything they tell you to say in order to get out of this problem. That's American justice? Bull crap. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. And according to Trump, speaking on a radio earlier today, what, was this um, Was this uh, tapes, like surveillance tapes of the property that Trump handed over to the DOJ? They went after two fine employees yesterday, fine people. And uh, I don't think they think that the tapes were even changed. These were my tapes that we gave to them. And they basically then say that's not enough. We didn't, I don't think we would have had to give it. I'm not sure that we would have even had to give it. These were security tapes. We handed them over to them. I, don't, I doubt we would have, if we wanted to fight that, I doubt we would have had to give it. But uh, regardless, we gave it. So you gave them the tapes and you gave them this and you don't think you should have given it to them and you could have fought it in one, but you gave it. So I don't know what you're giving me the rigmarole for. They see a guy moving boxes from point A to point B, and they're like, yep, let's go get that guy too, and we can get him to flip and say anything. Man, this is some twisted you-know-what. It really is. This superseding indictment from a Jack Smith. I mean, it, it, it's really about trying to get somebody else they can put a squeeze on. It doesn't change anything about what he's already been indicted for. Having the documents, moving the documents, etc. I don't like that he had the documents. I've never liked that he had the documents. I don't think it makes any sense. I think it's messed up stuff when anybody does it, including Joe Biden, who had them when he was vice president who had them in Delaware, at the University of Delaware, who had them in offices in Boston, who had them in offices in D.C., who keeps them around his drug-addled, liar, fraudulent son and his Corvette in a garage that isn't locked. It's covered by the Secret Service. Who goes into the house? That's right. That same Secret Service won't tell us. 
if it's bad, it's bad. I think you should, you know, not have a double standard on the things, as people like to use that expression, but rather you should have some consistency to your theories and your philosophies. They should apply for more than just the momentary setting. But with Trump, the question will be, if the president of the United States takes a document, is that document de facto declassified? Now, that's the only question that matters. The question that I certainly will not ever buy into is, did he tell anybody? Who the hell does he have to tell? Some perfunctory in the archive? Just so we're clear, I don't, I don't mind the archive's mission, nor that they want to ensure that they have the documents. But to be clear, screw what they think. What they think is inconsequential. Don't give a damn. If the president took it with him, one could argue the president declassified it because the president doesn't have to prove himself or herself when that day comes to anyone. Now, if you're engaged with that, utilizing those documents for a high crime or misdemeanor against the country, well, then you have to deal with impeachment, treason, etc. But the declassifying of the document declassifying of the documents is just the action of doing how else could it be because otherwise the president can't declassify what the president wants to declassify there'd have to be a system show me where that is so these charges still are predicated on an idea that the president can't well, I feel that the president can, just like when we talk about uh, immigration, the president decides immigration policy. I believe that for Joe Biden as well. I just wish Joe Biden was better at immigration policy. Now that there's this other uh, this superseding indictment, another charge, of course, everybody's going to have a take. Everybody is going to have a... Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, take on, on what happens and and um, what what this means. You know, there there are people who are very very clear. Like you got Scott Jennings over there on CNN. There's also the it, it's such a it's such a fine line in many ways, right? We've talked so often for in different in different areas about the Republican Party being the party of laws, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the question of is justice being applied? as a standard equally. in the way that it should be equally. Thank you, because yeah. I couldn't find my word this morning. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the back and forth, right? And what you're hearing from Republicans is no, because this is a hit job. And what you're hearing from prosecutors is we're just following the facts. Yeah, more than a handful of Republican, even Mike Pence, who they were trying to hang mm-hmm. on January the 6th, they said, well, it would be bad for the country if they did this to Donald Trump. That, that's not really a good way to run a railroad or a justice system. I mean, you you know, what, do you, what does that mean? You can... You can Maybe break a law, and if we just mm-hmm. arbitrarily decide it, it's not good for the country, or at least half the country that likes you. I don't. I don't. That's not a good. <laughs> that is not. That is not a good way to look at a justice. That, that then you're. But it is a way to look at justice. You can argue it's not a good way, but what if that's it? What if actually we can look at it the following way, Scott Jennings? The Justice Department is trying to put their thumb on the scale of the future presidential election by trying to get out of the picture the guy who's getting 60% in the polls. How can it be be that you couldn't say, hey, there's also some election interference going on here? 
And what does it say about Mike Pence when uh, he's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe they were trying to hang me, but I still feel this way. Maybe that should actually carry more weight, not less. Ron DeSantis asked about this by Megyn Kelly. Would you commit to pardoning him on any federal charges against him? Well, what I've said is very simple. Uh, I'm going to do what's right for the country. I don't think it would be good for the country to have an almost 80-year-old former president go to prison. Um, so that's a yes. It doesn't seem like it would be a good thing. And I look at, like, you know, Ford uh, pardoned Nixon, took, took some heat for it. But at the end of the day, it's like, do we want to move forward as a country or do we want to be mired in these past controversies? The whole thing about the pardon isn't the story there. Maybe you missed it. The whole thing about the pardon isn't the story there. You want to hear it again? Would you commit to pardoning him on any federal charges against him? Well, what I've said is very simple. Uh, I'm going to do what's right for the country. I don't think it would be good for the country to have an almost 80-year-old former president go to prison. It's the age thing. That's the drop right there. That's the drop right there. Because the age thing is going to start being everything. Because of Feinstein, because of Biden, because of Mitch McConnell, the age thing is now a story. It is going to be brought up. And DeSantis in his mid-40s has got to hope that helps him. It's got to hope. On Twitter, I'm being called embarrassing, producer Jason. I'm being called embarrassing. Your spin is embarrassing. There is a declassification process, and Trump is on tape saying it was classified. Also, why no mention of the January 6th testimony where all of Trump's staffers admit he lost and Stop the Steal was a complete scam? Wait a second. Stop the Steal was a complete scam. Anything that involves Ali Akbar is a complete scam. My take. People who went to Georgia are like, oh, you shouldn't vote. You shouldn't vote because it's, it's we got to stop the steal. The most pathetic stuff ever. But let's be clear. The declassification process for the president of the United States is, hey, take a look at this. The fact that he said it was classified, I agree with you. Because that's a conversation about ipso facto being out of office. But the taking of it. Is that a declassification moment? And if you say to me, well, there's a process, I'll say to you, the process is the president deciding it. You're wrong. Now, we can agree to disagree on a series of things, and that's fine. We can have different opinions and different thoughts. You are wrong. Declassification from the president is the president taking it. Or just just doing it. It is the action not some procedure, because if it's a procedure, that means for the president, there's somebody who has to approve it, and that doesn't exist. The president can do this. Now, you don't have to like it. I'm not saying you have to like it. I am saying as a matter of constitutionality, that's not spin. That's constitutionality. But remember how I started the conversation. I assume this will end up in the hands of the Supreme Court. I assume that that's where this is going to go when we talk about Trump and these documents. How does the Supreme Court say, well, the president can't really declassify? That it has to be some kind of proclamation. 
proclamation. Where? On, on the, uh, from the Oval? In front of three people? Um, he has to sign? What are you talking about? I'm talking about as a matter of constitutionality. I've already told you I don't find it acceptable. But I love that you think my spin is embarrassing. That's, is that how you have conversations? See, this is the problem. People don't know how to, how to share. So yeah, I come back a little bit strong telling uh, this dude he's wrong because he is and he doesn't hear that enough in his life and a lot of people want to tell him how wrong he is but somehow they're like, uh, just leave it be, maybe he'll go away. Nah, sometimes you gotta be told. And I don't know what I'm supposed to say about January 6th testimony. What does January 6th come into it matter to me? Oddly enough, Ron DeSantis brings up January 6th with Megyn Kelly. You said Trump should have done more on January 6th. Like what? Well, look, I think it's I think it's been well documented kind of his conduct when when it first started, how, how he sat there, you know, could, could have obviously leaned in harder. I think I mean, even his own kids were texting saying, you know, he needs to do more. He needs to do more. Is that criminal, though? I mean, that's the thing when you talk about a grand jury and a potential criminal indictment. Now. I believe that is actually where the vast majority of Americans are. The Trump supporter will tell you that, look, he sent out the tweet, and the tweet said, stay peaceful. Remember, law enforcement, great law enforcement officers, wonderful people. Then you'll have the people on the hard left who uh, will want to scream that, you know, he, he's, a, he's a witch and burn him. I think the vast majority of Americans see January 6th as he could have done more. I'm one of those people. He could have done more. He could have done more. I guess I think the, the bigger argument here is, does Ron DeSantis think any of that is going to help him? You think that he's going to move anybody to his side? No, no. I think touting accomplishments in Florida and talking about how you could apply them nationwide, that's what's going to move people. Saying Trump could have done more, his own kids said he needed to do more. I don't, I can't imagine that that makes people say, oh, Ron DeSantis is serious. All right, uh, it all started slow, but now now it's picking up steam. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole campaign. I don't know. I think he's got to focus, focus more on accomplishments and get more accomplishments done. Speaking of... Are we all done lying about what's going on with Florida and this slavery talk? Are we all done now? Because if you're trying to get the White House this way, that's just wrong. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Tim Scott decided to engage the pylon of Ron DeSantis by talking about the curriculum regarding slavery, which didn't say, you know, slavery was good for black people because it taught them skills. It states, as historians describe it, that those who were able to adapt and survive then utilize the skills in that adaption. Uh, you know, in, in being able to adapt and survive to in, in their later life outside of slavery. 
And I, I don't disagree, and I said it then, I say it now. It's weird. It's a weird thing to hear. But that's what got said. That's what the experts put in the curriculum. And people want to spin it like, oh, Ron DeSantis trying to make it sound like slavery was a good thing. That's not it. That is not it at all. And you have uh, Vice President Harris saying this. Of course it's not true. That isn't what happened. And now you have Tim Scott trying to say, well, there's no silver lining when it comes to slavery. And, you know, sometimes people say things wrong, and we should give them a chance to uh, express regret and, uh, and uh, explain themselves. Why does, why does Ron DeSantis have to do this? As Matt Walking points out, now, full disclosure, Matt Walking leads a, uh, a group called Never Back Down. Never Back Down is all about supporting Ron DeSantis. But he points out that if you take a look at the college board, well, this is what it always said. He writes that the AP, you know, Advanced Placement, African American Studies course that the entire establishment media wanted Florida to adopt says the exact same thing the new Florida standards say. And I'm quoting, in addition to agricultural work, Enslaved people learned specialized trades and worked as painters, carpenters, tailors, musicians, and healers in the North and South. Once free, uh, uh, Americans used these skills, or African Americans used these skills to provide for themselves and others. Although it's spelled wrong there, it's spelled as American Americans. So is that the case? That this was always the way these subject, this subject was discussed? And just because Florida made some other changes, people are making hay out of something that there is nothing to make hay out of. I think it's wrong when you see people on the political right buy into arguments from the political left. You got an issue with Ron DeSantis, Senator Scott, you just say it. You don't buy in to something Kamala Harris said. I liked him, Scott, but man... The Tucker answer on Ukraine, this? I'm, I can't believe he's doing so well in Iowa. I'm Tony Katz. This, Maria, 2.4%. Wow. This is the first read, the advanced read, for second quarter GDP. Estimate was only for 1.8%. Talk about a strong economy. Uh, there goes that recession talk, right? Uh, and what's interesting here is the expectation was we were going to have a weaker Q2, this first read, than we had in Q1. Remember, we had a 2% read in Q1 for this year. We are thinking we were going to have a slowdown. It's the opposite, 2.4%. And, you know, even the range, um, this is in the high end of the range uh, that economists were looking for. So that's pretty darn interesting. Uh, really, Q4 was 2.6%. So economy is still strong. Real interesting here. You got a lot of people talking very well about this economy all of a sudden. Oh, the progressives are like, this is a godsend for Bidenomics. Just perfect for Biden going into the election season. We're a little early from that being the case, but we should ask ourselves, has this economy turned around and we don't know it? Have all of the indicators been wrong and all of the other markers 
been correct. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything I'm doing over at TonyCats.com. Be a part of it. Be a supporter. It's free or you can support. It would be greatly appreciated. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economy, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And I want to get to these numbers. I'm looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, trying to figure out some of this latest information, specifically on uh, this uh, PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. But before we get there, we learn that Sam Bankman-Fried, this fraudster, this guy, FTX, right, this crypto exchange, lied, stole people's money, put it into very speculative investments with his own company, a second company, lost it all, stole the money, then finds himself in the Bahamas because of extradition issues, and now he's not going to get charged with any campaign finance issues? First, it was the prosecutors uh, saying that they couldn't go after him uh, for violating anti-bribery statutes. And now they're saying because it's the Bahamas and they couldn't get the ability to extradite that they're not going to charge him with unlawful campaign contributions. Your take, Dr. Will, is that this is a bunch of nonsense from the Bahamas. Yes, Tony, people need to understand there's a financial relationship between the United States and the Bahamas. If you go to the Bahamas, you clear passport control in the Bahamas. We told them we want to have immigration there. So that's one of the few places in the world that can happen. If you go from Bahamar to Paradise Island, it is loaded with law firms to set up shell corporations for U.S. companies such as Enron, which has set up their division called Mahonia for hiding things from the U.S. government. There is a cooperative arrangement between the U.S. government and the Bahamas because their economy is almost 100% dependent on us. So, Tony, when we said extradite him, they threw him overboard quickly and gave him to us. And now, all of a sudden, they're twisting our arm after the fact and say, we intended, we intended for you not to prosecute him on the political things. Tony, that is completely false. The relationship between these two countries would never have that happen. They're hiding political people. I don't know whether it's Republicans or Democrats, but they're hiding that. And you notice the only two charges that are being dropped are the political charges, not the financial charges. I I am fully aware that the charges being uh, dropped in the Sam Bankman-Fried case uh, have to do with uh, a protection of uh, political parties and and of uh, elected officials. Uh, And that is what we should all consider to be disgusting. But there is an economic side uh, to this and what you're talking about regarding the Bahamas, uh, which which now makes one ask, well, what is what business are they actually in? You know, people uh, do things in certain countries because they have certain levels of of protections. That much is 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 true. and, And I don't mind them having different levels of protections. You're making the argument that in this case, it goes well beyond. And and it's it's interesting to hear you and an economist getting into this, but there seems to be some level of angle uh, to that, which is, my gosh, look at what we're indicating to Wall Street and others about what they can get away with. Tony, this is this people need to understand this is the dirty little secret in the financial industry is that the Bahamas, like you said, there are good reasons to go there. Have, they have a better tax situation, so it's okay for you to set up a company there. But I'll give you the Enron example. 
J.P. Morgan was in New York. Enron's financial offices were in New York. They were almost across the street from each other. They go to the Bahamas. The U.S. government allows them to do this, to set up a company and do business. Tell me why they can't walk across the street for their transaction. Instead, they have to fly to the Bahamas. Because there is a financial loophole that the U.S. government allows the powerful people in Washington, allow the powerful people on Wall Street to get away with this kind of stuff. That's exactly what's happening, and they don't want that exposed. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Now let's get in to this uh, economy. You take a look, and man, they're they're happy on Wall Street. The, those futures were up huge in the early uh, trading. Nasdaq was up over two hundred. Dow was up o- over a hundred, and you 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 see the headline. Key Fed inflation rate falls to lowest annual level in nearly two years. So the question is, what is this um, inflation rate? What is this this figure? What does it mean? And is this because Joe Biden knows how to work the economy? <laughs> okay, first of all, Tony, we're going from super bad to not so bad. I mean, the PCE, this is this inflation indicator you're talking about, it rose 4.1%. Tony, four point, in what world is 4.1% inflation considered good? Well, in a world where it used to be 8% and 9%. So yes, it's better than it was. It still isn't even close to where it should be. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, and this is a big deal from yesterday's GDP report. People look at the headline, Tony, but they don't dig into the, the details. We are still rebounding from the pandemic. I I looked at the Federal Reserve data adjusted for inflation, and we are still about half a trillion dollars short of where we should be this time. I'm sorry, $200 billion short of where we should be right now. We still haven't caught up to where we should be pre-pandemic. So, of course, it's growing at 2%, Tony. It's still catching up. This is not a good thing. We haven't caught up, and the catch-up rate is slower now than it was three years ago. But I play you uh, that clip from Fox Business. I can play you clips from CNBC. Everybody says this is terrific, and certainly on a, on a political level, oh, great news uh, for Joe Biden and proves that Bidenomics works. It's clear to a lot of people that the numbers don't make any sense, that the economy is confusing. Here's what they know, as we've discussed before. Shops are full and restaurants are full. And here you are saying, well, the sky isn't falling as fast, but dear Lord, watch your heads because it's coming down. These numbers are trend or these numbers are blips? Tony, they are trends, but they're still missing. You, you brought up one point and I want to bring up two of them. That's right. It's hard. It's the, the, the restaurants are full. The restaurants are full, Tony, because we had a record number of closings of businesses during the pandemic, and we still haven't opened them back up. We have a shortage of restaurants. We have a shortage of businesses. It's not because the economy is great. It's because we just haven't recovered yet from the disaster from the pandemic. And as far as the GDP growth, I don't know, Tony, who would you rely on more? Government data that says we have one quarter of growth, or private industry, the ISM PMI, we talk about this all the time, the government uses it, that says eight consecutive months now of shrinking business activity. Eight. And if you look at the GDP number yesterday, Tony, the growth is primarily from government spending. 
government spending, that whole Keynesian flawed formula is what caused the GDP to go up. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Over there at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there is a number that I find very, very fascinating. In the fourth quarter of 2022, gross job gains were $8 million and gross job losses were $7.6 million. I found that to be a fascinating uh, number that total job growth over the fourth quarter was was four hundred thousand. Um, now, maybe if I were to take a look month to month, and we take a look at jobs, it would it would equal that. And it's less surprising. It's just you take a look at that number: eight million gained, seven point six million lost. Is that the standard? Is I mean, when I say the standard, is that usually how things go? That many jobs disappear. Um, the answer is not that many. But yes, Tony, we, it's very typical for an economy to transition. You know, you used to make buggy whips and then you make cars. So the buggy whip people are laid off and the car people are hired. And, you know, so it's a, there's a transition in the economy, which is normal, but the magnitude of this is larger than normal. And the net, and you, you see, you identified the two parts of it, Tony, and you didn't even take my class. There are two parts and you're looking at the net number. That's the right number to look at. The these numbers as as they come out, and we talk about trends right now. You you see um, the 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 unemployment rate. You see the GDP higher than than ex- expected. Uh, you see the inflation cooling uh, to three percent, and that allows politically and allows Wall Street to be cheering and 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 going nuts. You argue that none of this even gets us back to where we were before COVID hit. You talk about restaurants not reopening, shops not reopening, so therefore the shops that do exist, restaurants that do exist, have more people in them. Of course, they seem more crowded. The question is, what indicators could we look at to see how that's going to grow, or is this the new normal, and therefore we have to rethink what these numbers mean? Do the numbers now mean different things than they did in a pre-COVID world? Tony, you, you have hit the nail on the head. We have to rethink this. And, I'll, and you know, you, we were talking about this before we started this, this segment. There's a confusion in the economy. And I'll give you a confusion. I just mentioned the growth in the economy. Here's another confusion. Two date, or earlier this week, Jerome Powell said that inflation-adjusted income for individuals is down. Yesterday's GDP report said inflation-adjusted income for individuals is up. So who do I believe, Tony? Do I believe the Bureau of Economic Analysis or do I believe the Federal Reserve Board? Tony, the, the entire data reporting is just a mess. It's got to be cleaned up. I don't know how to clean it up, but I can tell you it's a mess, and we see contradicting data, data everywhere. Is there anything that you see, you know, often you talk about producer price index, you talk about manufacturing and say they're manufacturing less stuff, they're, they're gearing up, people aren't doing as, as much buying. Is there anything you've seen from uh, that producer price index, from what manufacturers are doing that make you stick to uh, the, the place where, look, things are better, but they're not good if we engage real comparison is anything looming that we should be paying attention to? We should be paying attention to right now. Yes, Tony. 
Um, but I'm going to tell you there's a schizophrenic part to this as well. The index numbers that I rely on show that inventories are down. Customer inventories are down. Manufacturers' inventories are down. We're heading into Christmas season, Tony. Those inventories should be growing, not shrinking. Yet the GDP report yesterday said private inventories are growing. So, Tony, I don't know. Who do I believe? Do I believe the companies that in the surveys, or do I believe the government data that's coming out? It, you know, I'm not a conspiracy person. I'm not a fan of those things. But I'm wondering, what's going on with the, with the BLS and the BEA reports that are coming out? They're inconsistent with everybody else in the market. Now, the market's growing, Tony, but that's a different topic having to do with innovation and AI and productivity and those kind of things. It's not because of Bidenomics or the government. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate always you taking the time. There's much more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. SCOTUS saves the pipeline. Oh, progressives are not happy, but oddly enough, the Biden administration is Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. This is the Mountain Valley Pipeline. The Supreme Court striking down a lower court ruling from the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. They had sided with the plaintiffs, so the Wilderness Society and something called Appalachian Voices, they had sued to stop pipeline construction. Fourth Circuit ruling was opposed by the Biden administration, bipartisan lawmakers, the quote-unquote fossil fuel industry. Fossil fuel industry. We are, we are ridiculous. The Department of Justice wrote an amicus brief to the Supreme Court. Whatever benefit respondents or the Court of Appeals might believe would be gained by having the agencies again reconsider the challenged actions. Congress has determined that further reconsideration is unwarranted and has prioritized the Mountain Valley Pipeline's timely completion over interests addressed by any other federal statutes. This is a 303-mile pipeline. I'd say it's a good-sized pup. The court, I think it was unsigned. Unsigned. Joe Manchin, uh, he uh, wants this desperately. Of course, Shelley Moore Capito, uh, also of West Virginia, desperately wants this. Uh, and uh, a, a host of others. Labor's International Union of North America. You've got Republicans in West Virginia, the Governor Jim Justice who wanted this, the American Gas Association. You can imagine the pressure. And here were these progressive groups. This is the second time we've seen progressives who are well, well, well to the left of even Joe Biden. Because for as progressive as he is, and he's been forced into, and he doesn't have enough of his own backbone or any more mind to be able to to push back against things, even he and even the administration recognize some things you just got to do. Some things you just got to have happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, environment, 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 all, all, all you want. But you need the power. Oh, my gosh. The, the wind power and the solar power. These are the best things. In the world. I mean, this was Joe Biden just yesterday talking about solar and wind. Most people don't realize that Texas is one of the states that has the most significant. Its energy is most significantly supplied by wind and solar in texas in texas and i know there's some in your state want to change turn that around but it's working and it's moving in a big way and it's cheaper 
is cheaper. And it saved our necks in this heat wave, too, by the way. No, it hasn't saved your necks in this heat wave, too, by the way. I think it was the mayor of San Antonio. Natural gas would have saved your neck too, but you've got the Biden administration that has hurt energy production. Now you're going to tell me that solar and wind is cheaper? You couldn't run the country on solar and wind if your life depended on it. And while he's saying that, he's pushing for a pipeline to be built. So it seems to me he's saying one thing for this crowd and doing something over here for reality. Me, I I think reality matters most. I think we should stay focused on it. Good on the Supreme Court. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.